this week on Deep Night. Uh, no, I mean, in, in some sense, I was surprised at the number of things I came across that I didn't have a, an easy explanation for. You know, things where I thought I'd be able to just sort of, you know, brush my hands off and say, well, I understand what that was about. And I sort of left thinking, oh, I don't know. I don't have a good answer for that one. <laughs> Friends, do you feel that? Something stirs in the deep night. Welcome to the program. I'm Dale Seaver, your host and your kindly innkeeper at the Inn of Lost Souls. I know how to keep a secret. I do. We come to you at this hour of regrets and revelations, as we always do, from the foul banks of the Gowanus. I read that they've begun scooping great heaps of sediment and debris from our beloved canal in their ongoing so-called clean-up efforts. If you ask me, this time of year, it's not wise to disturb that which has been at rest. Galinda and I went on one of our midnight speed walks to clear the mind in advance of a very rigorous tantric session this weekend, and I stopped for a moment to catch my breath on the notoriously haunted Carroll Street Bridge. On this night, it was eerily quiet. The boards of that old wooden bridge had ceased their creaking. The luxury condo construction was on hold for the night, and no drunken millennials were out wiping their faces from a trip to a pop-up Korean omelette station. No, this night the air was still, the waning crescent shining through a smattering of ragged clouds. But I swear to you, my friend, as I cast my gaze down toward the metal scrapyard and the open sewer tunnels, I could hear a low and steady drumbeat echoing through the ages. Tum, tum, tum. A beating that was full of violence and sadness, not unlike some of my Tinder dates after my divorce. But that drum, I knew it instantly, for it was the unmistakable pigeon-skin drum of Chief Gowani of the Canarsie tribe, still smarting from the trade of the oyster-rich canal to the Dutchman Jacob Van Corlaer, for a sackful of tulip bulbs and a box of lead pencils, I took Galinda's henna-covered hand in mine and squeezed it tightly as the drumbeats grew louder, and all of a sudden a murder of crows swooped into the Loge parking lot in the distance. I felt a gust of air that smelled of campfire smoke and lemon wedges, the smell of pain, the longing for oysters that are no more. Then as quickly as it came, the drums vanished. We speed-walked back to the apartment in silence, our arms making a whish-whish sound against our Lululemon track ensembles. It was scary, folks. Is everything haunted? On today's program, we're talking ghosts and ghost stories with my guest, Colin Dickey. As a writer, speaker, and academic, he has made a career out of collecting unusual objects and hidden histories all over the country. He's a regular contributor to the L.A. Review of Books and Lapham's Quarterly and is the co-editor with Joanna Ebenstein of the Morbid Anatomy Anthology. He's also a member of the Order of Good Death a collective of artists, writers, and death industry professionals interested in improving the Western world's relationship with mortality. Now, if you peek back into our Deep Night show archives, the Deep Night a show that was live from Los Angeles uh, last year, you'll find my talk with librarian Megan Rosenblum, also a member of the Order of the Good Death. And many seasons ago, I spoke with Joanna Ebenstein about her curious collection. So it's a world we've explored off and on here on the program. Colin has a new book called Ghostland, American History and Haunted Places, and we're going to be discussing that. I told you we would. 
We're going to be discussing that with him on the show. Ghost stories come from a deep place in ourselves, often in response to unsettling changes or situations. And we're going to ask Colin about that as we travel through time and space to enter a place where all are welcome, dead, live, and everything in between. Join us now as we go again into The Deep Night with my guest, Colin Dickey. Colin Dickey, how are you? I'm good. Thanks for having me on. Absolutely. Just back from the West Coast. Indeed, indeed. And a good tour out there with the book. It was fantastic. It was suitably stormy and crazy. There was the remnants of a typhoon hitting the Pacific Northwest while oh, I was there, which was my. which was excellent. It was very much fun. <laughs> Did it make for some dark skies above? Uh, it made for it made for what to me strikes me as sort of mild Pacific Northwest weather. Uh, you know, rain and wind, but they. Apparently, we're freaking out. Um, so, I don't know. Something has changed in the Northwest since the last time I've been there. So. More people moving up from Southern California, probably. 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 And those people fear the rain. Exactly. Right. right. <laughs> Sky tears. <laughs> uh, did you do any readings in haunted places? I did a reading at the uh, uh, Winchester Mystery House in oh, San Jose, California itself, which mm-hmm. was fantastic. So, yes. yeah, it's about as good as it gets. And that uh, features prominently in the book. Indeed, indeed uh, Ghostland. And uh, that uh, one of these great sprawling... Um, construction projects. Right. Was, uh, really, uh, the the legend is what with that. Right. So it's it's this massive, massive 160 room Victorian mansion. It kind of sprawls in every direction. It sort of feels like a labyrinth, like a maze you just get lost in. Um, and the the story is is that uh, Sarah Winchester, who built it, her uh, father in law was the founder of the Winchester Rifle Company. So she became fabulously wealthy through that, but uh, lost her infant daughter and then a few years later her her husband um and according to legend uh became convinced her family was cursed by anyone who'd ever been killed by a winchester rifle and a psychic told her that the only way to keep the spirits at bay would be to build a house that was never finished so according to legend she would um have a seance every night from midnight until 2 a.m and the spirits would tell her uh, where to build next, and then she would she would wake up and and uh, do the construction accordingly. That's the story, at any rate. Driven mad with this construction project, right? Exactly. Yeah. And anyone who's probably done a bathroom remodel knows it takes longer <laughs> than you think. <laughs> that's true. That's true. But that's in fact probably not the case, as you you. Uh, yeah, the story is. Yeah, the history is maybe a little. Um, uh, less spectacular than that, but also in some ways kind of more interesting in the sense that um, she was probably, and people hate to sort of have this sort of spoiled because it's such a great story and such a really fascinating story, but you know, she was not by any uh, s- uh, evidence we found a, a spiritualist. She um, did not appear to be in pathological mourning as, as the story suggests. I mean, she, it's true she never remarried, she never had kids again, but you know, Whatever, um, but some, some women don't. Yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah. No. And and I think the 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 stories of her being sort of crazy and haunted have as much to do with our anxiety around women who choose not to be remarried, who choose to live alone. The sort of like all the places I looked at, all the haunted places. A lot of times, I kept seeing the the kind of spinster ghost appear again and yes. again. This idea of the woman who 
doesn't fit society's expectations for for femininity and thus by default becomes a ghost. She yeah. must have been so unhappy in life. Exactly, right, right. She would have to come back. Right, right, and, right. And, and haunt. Well, uh, uh, we're going to continue to talk about some of these things sure, as sure. we go. I'm so thrilled to, to have you on. Of course, you're a friend of ours from uh, your work with the Morbid Anatomy Indeed. Museum and uh, p- p- co-editing that uh, anthology, a beautiful book. Uh, Thanks. Uh, the, the museum, of course, one of the gleaming jewels of <laughs> Gowanus culture. <laughs> And uh, that book has, and the museum, of course, has all manner of spooky and curious objects. Uh, what led to your interest in maybe the bizarre, the unusual? Well, I kind of fell into it, I guess you could say, like an open grave. Um, <laughs> I fell into it in the sense that my first book was um, about famous people's heads that had been stolen in the 19th century. So um, Was that happening a lot? It uh, More than I ever expected to find out. I, I mean... So I knew about um, I knew about Thomas Brown, this you know the 17th century writer whose head had been stolen in 1840. His uh, grave had accidentally been disturbed, and one of the the, the uh, diggers decided that it would make a good um, thing to sell, you know, to a hospital or something. So he swiped yeah. up Thomas Brown's skull, and I just sort of thought that was a kind of one-off oddity, but I. Um, uh, then discovered that that Francisco Goya, the painter's head, had also been stolen. Oh my! Uh, and that's when I th- started thinking, this is what is this is a trend, you know? So, um, and it turns out, yeah, uh, uh, Franz Joseph Haydn, the composer, his uh, his head was um, stolen five days after his death. A friend of his bribed the grave digger to dig up his his corpse and cut off his head, and then he kept it on the mantle for the next couple decades. Oh, sure. Um, yeah, <laughs> as, as one does. Add um, something to any home. Right, exactly. <laughs> now um, we have water features. <laughs> really ties the room together. Uh, so uh, also Mozart and uh, parts of Beethoven's head and a couple others. So I Mostly, so, mostly famous, though. It, well, I mean, many non-famous people, but I was I, for this project I was really interested in uh, in the famous, the, the afterlives of the, the famous skulls and... Um, and that kind of I was really more interested in the way that um, something as sort of derelict and um, pseudoscientific and nonsensical as phrenology, the the study of the bumps on your head, yes. um, could have such real world implications. Like, you know, phrenology is not a good science. It's a it's crap. But but it led these people to, like, you know, dig up the heads of very famous people and sort of keep them in circulation. And I found that to be fascinating in its own right and so um so then that just kind of you know once you do one book about grave robbing and human skulls you kind of i don't want to say typecast but you end up kind of doing more books about you know uh ghoulish things i guess that becomes the the uh, world you're circulating in that was was that the height of grave uh robbery uh, it was it was a good time. It was uh, it was if one was a grave robber uh it was really the the time in which uh before um, most states had and countries had had legalized anatomical dissection, um, but but after the sort of boom in medical colleges where where you need you basically needed corpses, so you needed needed a lot of corpses for your medical students, and you weren't allowed to get them from uh, any legal means, and so you know it, it created this sort of uh, kind of a loophole situation where there was a lot of uh, a lot of grave robbing. So yeah, so I would say the first half of the nineteenth century, if if you were going to pick any. A time to 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 be a grave robber. That would be the one to go with. <laughs> and and beyond any decorative function, was the idea that um, were people investigating 
the brains of famous people because they wanted to see if they were markedly different than the average Joe. Right. Well. Well. Right. So you could. So this is before we really had formaldehyde. So. Um, so you you couldn't keep the brain around, right? The brain. Just the hollowed just, out head. Just the skull. And so that's the thing about phrenology. The phrenology is the idea that like different parts of your brain are like bigger or smaller, and they would they would press against the skull in different ways. And so then so so it's sort of like. Um, like the the skull becomes kind of the photographic plate of the brain, you know, like it sort of captures a, a a kind of memory image of the brain. So yeah, so they are studying the brain. It's just they don't have direct access to the brain, so they do it through the skull instead. Fascinating, a bit like studying the mollusk just by holding the shell. Right, exactly. Right. Yes. Well, I tell you, I once worked in a discount framing store in San Francisco, quite near a place with excellent sourdough bread bowls that they put chowder in. And one of the regular customers was a little man, a short little fellow, with an exquisite demeanor, perfectly trimmed beard and mustache. And he'd be, he'd always, a fine suit, you know, and he'd come uh, uh, walking in. He'd always have strange items of ephemera to have framed. And some of the gals that were working there had an interest in, let's say they had gothic sensibilities, yeah. understand? Yeah. And uh, they would always do things extra for shadow boxes, that kind But the things that he would bring in, and apparently he had a whole house full of this stuff, would be like Lincoln's Tooth or uh, a first photograph oh, wow. of a prosthetic leg. Oh, cool. I mean, this man had a whole collection. And that was the first time I thought, oh, well, huh. you could really make a go of it with yeah, right, right. <laughs> this kind of a thing if you had a friend at a discount frame store. But uh, that's <laughs> it's similar to the uh, Morbid yeah. Anatomy Museum and just in someone's house. Were there any characters like that in young Collins' life? Were you a goth? No, not at all. I mean, I, I stand before you today in a in a... <laughs> Nice blue sweater that I yeah right and some pair of corduroys. Pair of corduroys. I I do not fit the profile in any way. I'm always at the the Morbid Anatomy galas and whatever. I'm the guy in the the orange shirt and jeans. I'm the guy who just <laughs> barely barely could dress himself, let alone put any effort into it. So no, I, I you know I grew up in a pretty suburban household and uh, never never imagined. I mean, I grew up reading like Stephen King. I grew up reading horror stuff, but then at some point I was like, I'm going to be a serious literary man, and I kind of left it all behind. So. And then at some point you found these heads right? and, 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 and followed it came, it. came back. And you grew up in San Jose, California. I did indeed. That's a bit of a netherworld, isn't it? It's a kind of a strange in-between place, not quite there and not quite here. Right. Well, I mean, it's it's odd. Yeah, geographically, it's, it's at the bottom of the San Francisco Bay, and uh, you know, you've got San Francisco to the northwest, and you've got Oakland to the northeast, and it's this kind of sprawling suburb that connects the two of them. But it's you know, so in the one sense, yeah, it's, it's sort of a nothing place. But on the other hand, it is the the home of Silicon Valley. The you know, so it's sort of it it has a sort of uh, it has a sense of place, sort of figuratively rather than actually geographically. You know, right. sort of. So it's an odd odd landscape to grow up in and i imagine most of silicon valley really below it kind of or around it around maybe. it yeah around it sort of it. spreads out and i various... don't feel it when i'm in san jose right I exactly feel that right same thing that right when you go out there right. it's a very i find it a little bit odd right and also you know you're not going to see a you know big giant building that says google it's going to be like a <laughs> kind of low-slung series of nondescript office parks you know kind of With thing people so. having coffee right exactly yeah <laughs> well of course we're here today because of your excellent and i would say surprising uh new book ghostland american history in haunted places and i enjoy the book but colin 
as I say, I was surprised by it. Okay. It's about ghosts, yes. Yes. Yeah. Uh, but it also uh, really reads as an architectural history. Yeah, yeah, of yeah. Of American homes and spaces. Yeah, I mean, I didn't think it would end up that way. It just sort of happened as I was, I was trying to get at the root of why some buildings are more have more of a reputation for being haunted than others. And and the thing I kept coming back to was this idea that there are certain buildings that for one reason or another have a sort of anomalous feature or, you know, something sort of odd about their construction. And, and those stories tend to gather up, uh, those places gather up ghost stories in a, in a way that, you know, an average normal home doesn't in the same way. And I got kind of fascinated by that. Trying to explain a, a builder's choices or a person's whims, right, or right, some odd thing that's happened over the years, right, right. Well, also, it's I mean, you you have uh, through your life lived in so many homes where you have sort of acculturated yourself to sort of basic principles of, you know, American home layout or you know whatever you know things that just just are so common that you take them for granted, right? right. You know, so that you know the kitchen will more or less be in a certain place. The you know the bedrooms are usually upstairs. You know the living room is in the front, and the family room is in the back. Like all these things that we've just sort of grown used to, and when those are are off in some way, um, sometimes you 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 sense it without even realizing it at first. Is what I what I realized. Like you know when my wife and I were looking looking at houses to buy. We kept finding these houses that just felt strange, and it took, it would always take me a while to understand what was strange about them. And so, like in one one house we looked at, there was like they there was a it was obviously like a normal small house, and then at some point they built a a family room on the back. So there was this family room mm-hmm. on the back, but but there was a a wall between the dining room and the family room with an outdoor window between the two of them because they just sort of slapped it on the back without knocking down that that back wall and it, and you know and you're just you're just not used to being in a small family home with windows looking from one room to the next you know i mean yes. there's nothing nothing wrong with it but it it felt weird at first you know and and i wasn't sure exactly what was on unsu- i was like oh that's why there's just this window here for no reason Right. Although your mind might not immediately go to there was probably a body stashed through the window. Right. No, no. Right. Right. So you start with that kind of uneasy feeling. You start with that sort of like there's something odd and unsettling about this house. And and I think that in many cases it is that feeling that when you don't have a an easy language for it, when you can't say, you know, oh, this is bad architecture. So instead you say, I don't know, maybe I felt something. Maybe, you know, like maybe that noise I heard was actually, a, you know, a whisper or something like right. that. You know, and they start to sort of like the, the ghost stories in some ways maybe build out of those uh, kind of uh, unsettling feelings that you don't have a good name for. Well, it's interesting because our minds want to make sense of things, don't right. they? And they probably go first and foremost to people or faces. If you look into a right. fire, maybe you see a face all of a sudden. Right, right. Or I, I have the experience quite often, of uh, uh, lying on my side and the air conditioner will be going, yeah. uh, and I'll hear music. Oh, wow. And huh. it'll be different music every night, but it'll be the same uh, song huh. uh, going. And then I sit up, both ears, I don't hear it. But if I lie back down, there it is. Huh. But is that? I know it's just the air conditioner, but right, uh, right. my brain translates it, finds these notes within the thing. That's great. It's like a, it's like an updated version of that scene in Eraserhead where there's the woman in the radiator. It's the, the yes. yeah, the lady in the air conditioner. Yeah, no, I mean, it, I mean, it, heating and cooling is probably ninety percent of ghosts. Right, exactly. Well. <laughs> the, um, I mean, I think it's definitely true. I mean, I think when uh, I mean, this is evolutionary. I mean, you need to be, you know, when you're out, you know, living in the jungle, yes, or whatever, you need to be able to see 
in a pile of foliage, you need to be able to see the lion face or the tiger face. Or, you know, so like we are we are hardwired to to find patterns um, and find meaning in things that 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 don't actually you know may just be sort of random noise. And I yeah, and again, yeah, I think you're right that a lot of times when when I would talk to people about their ghost stories or I would read about ghosts, I was like, you know, what's maybe what's happening here is instead of, you know, the actual supernatural paranormal, maybe what's happening is, is we are sort of hunting around for, for meaning at a bunch of static and, and noise and sort of coming up with something. So, yes, that's what we're, we're trained to do. Yeah. 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 Always looking for it. Well, you're so successful, not, uh, not really debunking stories, but, but you unravel them a little bit, get to the root of them, and you go into the possible reasons why a ghost story might right. emerge, why that might be there, whether it's just human hardwiring or because there's wants and desires that get loaded into this trying to understand the disruption that's right, going right. around us. Um, what surprised you most in researching the book? Uh, uh, did you go into it thinking you'd see uh, some ghosts and then write about them and then that's what would happen? Uh, no, I mean, in, in some sense, I was surprised at the number of things I came across that I didn't have a an easy explanation for, you know, things where I thought I'd be able to just sort of, you know, brush my hands off and say, well, I understand what that was about. And I sort of left thinking, oh, I don't know. I don't have a good answer for that one. <laughs> um, but there's not as many of those in the book. No, there's not. I mean, I you know, again, I mean, what I what I really wanted to do was kind of open up a space between the 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 people on the one side who are 100% skeptics who are absolutely you know there's no such thing as ghosts and the yes. people on the other side who are 100% believers that you know yes i you know i'm i believe that these are sort of you know supernatural violations of space and time and i i found that myself included but but many of the people that i talked to were somewhere in the middle uh, you know people who were were diehard atheists, but you know, I'd seen something, you know, you know, whatever, you know, or, or you know, a couple of people I talked to who absolutely believed in ghosts, but every time you would ask them about it, they'd be like, ah, no, that wasn't a ghost, that was just some weird thing, you know. <laughs> so, so I tried to kind of open up that space. Yeah, I wanted to figure out kind of why some buildings more than others. I wanted to figure out why some stories more than other, but I also wanted to see if I could figure out if there was a way to talk about these things that didn't necessarily get get back to that sort of intractable debate about belief versus skepticism. Right. So within that, well, first of all, which would you rather violate, space or time? Um, definitely time. Yeah. I mean, I, I, it goes without saying. I would wonder who would be, you know, why would you want to violate <laughs> space if you could violate time? Silly question. <laughs> well, of course, a lot of this is drawing things through the, through the, there's a bit of time travel within a little bit, these yeah, things yeah. because you have to go back to what hap what was the reason for building something in the first place? What right. was the use of the land before that? Right. And then what characters were involved throughout that? So you're right. <laughs> Good well, I, I met this. I met one guy, one uh, ghost hunter whom I loved, who was uh, his his theory was that ghosts were were wormholes opening. Yes. Um, and I I love this idea. Like he had. His was his his idea of ghosts was absolutely scientifically based. It was absolutely a thing he felt he could prove in a sort of scientifically uh, you know resolute manner that he could document enough cases where where what most people perceive of as ghosts were actually little wormholes opening up to the past. And I thought that's a really interesting take on on the paranormal. So. I like that, but without the past element, just multidimensional vibrations. Sure, right, exactly. You know, yeah. like they're yeah. just another timeline. Right, right. And they haven't right. updated their wardrobe. <laughs> Do you think there's a ghost closet that you get to choose what to wear? Why are ghosts always wearing the thing that um, they're kind of most known for? 
Right. Like if they indeed. were a captain, they're always in the captain's hat. But that's not necessarily how they died. I mean, right? If they died, uh, you know, uh, yeah, you you think you'd see a lot more ghosts in just like hospital sheets, right? Yes. You know, or something like that. Pajamas. You know? at yeah. Least. I guess. I guess that maybe that's where the whole ghost in the white sheet thing comes from. Is oh. This idea yeah. of, like, you know, that's what they were probably wearing is a hospital gown. But yeah. you don't see as many of those. No, no, no. I mean, the people that see ghosts don't see a, go- a ghost in a white sheet, do they? No, they always see them in, in Victorian garb yeah. <laughs> yes. is, the, is the default, you know. Uh, occasionally, yeah, in a Civil War costume, but mostly Victorian garb. Well, Civil War, you, you get it, you understand why, because so many uh, sure. young men went to their deaths. Uh, Victorian, maybe because things were being repressed and spiritualism was on yeah, the rise. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I think I think we just commune? we just we just associate ghosts so much with that that period. Um, although I do, lo- I, what I love about LA is LA has so many modern ghosts. Oh, like they, LA, yeah. you know, LA's got because it's <laughs> it wasn't around really. You know, in the 19th century, it wasn't much of a city. So you know, so all of its ghosts are. You know they're dressed like you know, starlets, starlets like flappers from the twenties, maybe. You know they're in pinstripe suits. They're they're good. They're you know twentieth century ghosts. And that's where you get the Black Dahlia. Right, exactly. Right, who who haunts the the Millennium Biltmore Hotel, um, which is uh, one of one of the sort of grand old doms of uh, of downtown Los Angeles. And, uh, I was going to get to it in a little bit. Oh, okay. But, but oh well, I, let's uh, let's uh, we can let's we'll just leave I've that as a teaser. There. Oh, have you? Okay, yes, yeah. Let's talk yes. about it. Yeah. But with through all of this, I was Black Dahlia haunts uh, James Elroy most of all. Right, right, indeed, right, exactly, <laughs> yeah. But um, you didn't have any of that experience. You didn't see something in a captain's outfit or in Victorian garb. Well, no, I mean the the when I was in the Lemp Mansion in St. Louis, Missouri, I um, you know I took this ghost tour where we were all given infrared uh, cameras, right? Yeah. And so we basically w- ran around this empty mansion. In the dark with uh, infrared cameras, which is uh, whether or not you're a believer, it's kind of a fun thing to do on a Thursday night, you know. Like it was <laughs> right. kind of it was, it was a little goofball, but um, and um, and I was in one room, and the thing about infrared cameras is everything looks spooky in an infrared camera. Right. Like it's really just like it just all looks spooky. And uh, and I was in one room, and I was panning across the room with my infrared camera, and I got to the air conditioner. Um, mm-hmm. so noted, noted psychic disturbance, <laughs> yes. uh, uh, and uh, and there was this sort of shadow that flashed across the uh, the air conditioner, and I and I, I there was nobody behind me, there was no cars going by. Like I still don't have a really good answer for that. Like I don't know, you know, I don't. It's possible, you know. So it was an interference from another. Well, well. So at the end of the at the end of the tour, my friend Elizabeth, who was there. She kind of sidles up to me and she says, "She says, you know what? If you turn on and off the air, the infrared on your own camera while you're standing in front of somebody else's, it creates ghosts on their cameras, you know, because it." The, but no one was near you. Exactly right. So, so maybe she was okay. just messing with me. Maybe, okay. but I don't know. Okay. I don't know. Well, interesting. Interesting. Well, I, I spent a lot of time in the Bay Area, and I visited Coma, mm, the yeah, great right. uh, a city uh, of the dead. I even did a photo shoot there one foggy morning oh, long nice, ago. Nice. I bet a few goth bands do a lot of sure, photo sure. shoots sure. down there. Can you uh, talk a little bit about Coma, uh, because I think it's an interesting place, and sort of how it came to be? Coma is really fascinating. I mean, so Coma is where all of San Francisco's citizens get buried. It is not in San Francisco. It's its own incorporated city. 
and 73% of its land is cemeteries. And so there wasn't enough land in San Francisco to, yeah, to have a proper cemetery. Right, exactly. So so the sort of history of 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 cities and towns is you you have your cemetery in the middle of the town because it's next to the graveyard because it has to be consecrated ground so you can, you know. So you 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 build your entire town around your central church graveyard kind of thing, but as cities get bigger and bigger and bigger, this becomes more and more of a problem, and uh, and the graveyard itself gets gets more and more overgrown and becomes sort of noxious and you know just terrible. And so, in the 19th century, people start moving, cities start moving their graveyards out, and so so Manhattan founds Greenwood, which is like way 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 far away in Brooklyn, you know, and uh, and Greenwood becomes the the sort of you know main burial ground for uh, for Manhattan and also other parts in Queens as well, and. Um, and um, and so eventually San Francisco does this where where San Francisco just gets rid of all of its cemeteries with the exception of um, uh, Mission Dolores and I yes. think one other. Um, but they just move all of their cemeteries out to Colma um, and Colma becomes this like the city of cemeteries. And they, their slogan is uh, Colma, where it's great to be alive, you know, which is. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and only a few of us are. Yeah, right. Exactly. Yeah. So, yeah. So there's no cemeteries left in San Francisco. It's kind of fascinating. But even the dead can't afford to live in San right, Francisco. Right, exactly. I mean, yeah, you know, have you seen those prices? Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, it's worse than here. Right. And as you said, Greenwood. And do you think that the rise of uh, cremation and alternative forms of burial now are also affecting uh, um, the, the, the demand for cemeteries? Yeah, I think it's going to be, I, I find it endlessly interesting sort of where we're headed. I, it seems like every... Every generation or two, we 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 redo our burial customs. So you know, I mean, my my grandfather, my grandparents' generation. I mean, that was the the embalming, the sort of you yeah. know five or ten thousand dollar funeral, whatever. You know, the big whole deal. And um, you know, my parents' generation is much more of the sort of cremation. You know, scatter your ashes somewhere, sort of meaningful and. And, you know, what I'm seeing now is people more sort of aligned with this idea of like, you know, the green burial, you know, bury, my, bury me under a tree somewhere and just let me sort of rot and go back to the earth. And I, it seems like every generation kind of has to uh, reinvent it for their own sort of needs and, and, and emotions. And, and so it'll be interesting to see. Like, it, it's weird, though, because it, it, it takes such a long time. I mean, obviously, like, you know, people now in their 30s and 40s are talking about green burials, but they're theoretically talking about things that are going to happen four and five decades out they're not you know right so right. so it'll be it, it's a slow it's it takes a little while to to catch up to trends so i'm gonna get one of those mushroom suits oh yeah yeah the, yeah exactly she's wonderful yeah. i had a very awkward dinner with her the inventor of that oh, okay and i love it yeah you just get into a body stocking that's lined with some kind of fungus yeah and it, it breaks down the body yeah and then what happens to the mushrooms I assume they joined the the lar- isn't all mu- aren't all mushrooms just one thing? I I don't I don't know. I, I wish I knew more about. <laughs> I don't know what mushrooms. happens to the mushrooms. <laughs> I haven't thought about it. I guess they just uh, do they. Do but they're not edible, the right? The idea is not that you would like then saute, well, you know, Aunt Doris's <laughs> remains in a in a nice stir fry. I like. think you're predicting trends. <laughs> <laughs> There's going to be a very boutique place in the village. Uh, or probably somewhere in Williamsburg. Yeah, or probably. Know, or at right. that point, it'll be East New York or yeah, Canarsie. Yeah. yeah. Do you have any uh, thoughts about that? End of life thoughts about in, how you want to go out. Um, uh, blaze of glory. I, blaze. Yeah. <laughs> oh, a pyre. Yeah. Knife, knife in the back from a jealous lover. No. Uh, <laughs> uh, no, I, I, I do like the, I do like the idea of a green burial. I think that sounds, uh, sounds pretty fantastic. Very so, I think yeah. about my own grandfather. They were worried about an underground crick. 
taking his oh, body wow. on a little oh. journey. So we're not really sure that he's still there. But wow. where was he buried? Uh, in Pennsylvania. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, because uh, you know, I mean, in in New Orleans, you know, I mean, there's this whole problem of you know the uh, the coffins coming back literally to sort of you know when you get a flood, they'll sort of like, you know, rise up. Yeah, up, yeah, yeah, yeah. This is gruesome, but well, what, speaking of New Orleans, that's a, a perfect kind of place because when you go there, you feel something. So when yeah. you were in any of these other places, does it just feel eerie? Did it feel eerie to you being in there? As you said, when you saw the shadow, maybe yeah, that yeah, sparked yeah. something. But what is it about these places, whether it's a Toys R Us or yeah. a, someone's home or a bed and breakfast, there is a sense of something, just, even if you don't know about this right. thing under hidden, the stair, hidden under the stairs or something, or weird plumbing, you feel something when you walk. And New Orleans, certainly, my goodness, it hits you in the face when you yeah. get off the plane. What's yeah. going on here? Right. Time is dislocated. People don't respond as quickly as you <laughs> think they are. So is it just that, trying to get a sense of adjusting to the to the lifestyle, the culture, the humidity when you get to a place like that? Yeah, well, sure. I mean, I think there, you know, there's so many places in our lives where there's this very set script, right? You know, like I like think of... Like think of like an IKEA, right? You know, you go through an IKEA and you're sort of like guided through, you know, the the uh, the various rooms, and there's that path you're supposed to follow, and the, you know, kind of dumps you out in the marketplace. There's there's like a r- way you're supposed to go through an IKEA. If you ever if you ever run through an IKEA backwards, um, it, it, sometimes you're like, well, this is different. This is new. <laughs> you know, this is you know, and and so like I think of like so many places where where you the the entire space is constructed to produce some kind of feeling or affect or goal. I mean, usually it's to get you to spend money if it's a business or a restaurant. But, you know, I mean, right. like a restaurant, you know, with the nice lighting and the, you know, white tablecloth, you know. And, so, and then all of a sudden it's, a, it's the end of the night. All the patrons are gone and they just, you know, crank up the fluorescence so they can oh. mop the floor. And it's, yes. you know, it's like it's suddenly just like a disturbing, strange thing. So I feel like in in a lot of these places, what 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 we're sensing, what we're thinking of as ghosts, you know, is sort of like what happens when you are are in a place and you're not moving according to the script. So, you know, the the Toys R Us. So the, I grew up next to this this haunted Toys R Us, right, uh, in Sunnyvale, California. It's <laughs> yes. famously haunted Toys R Us. Um, and, um, you know, and so there's a psychic, Sylvia Brown, who made her career in many ways off of this haunted Toys R Us because she would go and she would talk to this this cowboy who who haunted the Toys R Us and, you know, she would have seances. And and she had this overnight seance and it was, like, filmed by, like, That's Incredible or one of those shows back in the 70s. And the, yeah, right. Yeah. yeah, right, yeah. So so they so they have this whole crew there. They have some infrared cameras. And um, and and of course they find they find this ghost, right? But I'm also like, you're in a Toys R Us after midnight and it's pitch black. Of course it's going to be, of course you're going to be on edge. Of course you're going to be, like, looking for things. Of course you're going to interpret, you know, any, like, mouse scurrying through the walls as proof of, you know, this cowboy, you know, and again, it's fine. It's fine. But, you know, I mean, that's, that's, I think, you know, fundamentally how we, um, how we be, how, where that sort of, I guess that little note of inspiration for ghost comes is it's when you're in a place that the script isn't quite working. It's sort of anachronistic or it's anomalous or it otherwise just doesn't quite, it's not quite reading right as you're expecting it to. Right. And uh, there's also an element of menace, though, to some of those places. And sure. there's a quiet menace. You certainly all of Florida, as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> but Reno has a little bit of that vibe, right, too. Right. When you get there, it's like, what? What's going on? Where is everyone? Right, right. A lot of people are gambling or doing that. But it's a strange sort of a place out yeah, there. Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. Very, very weird yeah you have to drive through somewhere and um, 
I mean, I had a very tense night in a hotel, not because it was haunted, but I was scared for my life. Which, uh, in, in downtown Reno? In Reno, yeah. I oh. Don't, I don't remember the name of it, but okay. I, I went in and I thought I was going to stay in a little motel, and then there was a teenager crying on the phone, breaking up to her boyfriend. She checked me in, and I went into the... But she showed me not into the little, you know, the enclave there, yeah. with cute little cabins, but the adjacent property. Oh, okay. <laughs> had right. a car out front loaded with stuff on a cinder block. Oh, it was uh, right. very nerve-wracking. Right, right. Yeah, no, I... I uh, it was I, not clean uh, <laughs> either. So but, so, but a good Yelp review came out of it, I'm sure. <laughs> oh, yeah, about a one star, I think. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I, I went to Binghamton, New York for a conference, and... Um, the, I I had booked a hotel at the Ramada Limited, but but between when I booked it and when the conference actually happened, uh, Ramada had had pulled out. Ramada had decided <laughs> they did not want to be in Binghamton anymore, so it it went over to uh, to a local a local operator. It had some strange name, but it was yeah, it was that feeling. It was sort of like you know what is that what does that hallway smell? Is that is that urine? I'm sort of faint notes of urine I'm smelling in the hall, and <laughs> right. you know, and also I was I was yes. on yes indeed. <laughs> yes indeed yes, and I was on California time, so of course it's midnight in in Binghamton, but my brain thinks it's like you know 9 p.m. and I'm wide awake and I'm you know can't mm-hmm. can't get to sleep at all, and you know, and you're just you know all, again you know just the the way that time and space starts to work on you when your when your mind is a little unsettled like that, I mean, it can really, uh, really start to get your your gears going. I guess when you violate it, yeah, right, right, yeah, yeah. by traveling through time zones. <laughs> Do you feel braver for having gone to all these places? No, good. <laughs> <laughs> and do you think that thing with the air conditioner was the scariest moment? Um, no, I mean the 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 most unsettling moment for me was the the Moundsville uh penitentiary in, in Moundsville, West Virginia. Um and and that I mean it's this it's this I've never been oh well <laughs> if you've been to Eastern State Pennsylvania uh, Eastern State Penitentiary yes. in Philadelphia. Yep. So imagine imagine that but in the middle of Appalachia uh across the street from a giant Native American burial mound, um hence Moundsville. And um and just about fifty percent more derelict, and without the soothing dulcet tones of Steve Buscemi on the audio <laughs> tour. Um, but you know, I mean, this is this is a you know, it's built to look like a castle. It is, it is built to look like a castle because part of your punishment is uh, when it was designed was that you would feel sad and melancholy, like that you know you wouldn't just be doing time there, but you would be gloomy your entire time there. Just try to build it to look like you know something that would evoke us kind of sadness amongst its prisoners. But it's it's like the all of the architecture is designed to 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 make you feel a specific way, yes. and then you compound it with the fact that you know this was a overcrowded sort of horrible place where terrible tragedies happened and was closed down ultimately by the Supreme Court for you know violation of the Eighth Amendment, cruel and unusual punishment, and you know it's just an awful place. And so I, you know I didn't see it like a ghost necessarily, but you know when you're in that in an environment like that, you know I, it's it just it just works on you, and I you know. I had a friend who had who had actually worked there when they did the haunted house, and he had actually so he like for for one season, you know, every night from eight till midnight or whatever, he took tour groups through there, and he talked about how like afterwards, you know, like you know, this sounds like a kind of fun job, like where afterwards you and your friends would like hang out and you know get a beer or something like that, and he would say it's just like, afterwards everybody just immediately wanted to leave, you know, everybody <laughs> just like as soon as the shift was over, just got the hell out of there. I don't go for those yeah. haunted tour, like hay rides and that kind of thing. Yeah. 
I, yeah. don't, I don't like it. It's too scared? It's too scary. <laughs> <laughs> it, it, when people touch you, that's the part I don't like. <laughs> it's, the, it's the no, you know, my point, body, my rules. That's right. Haunted Hayride. <laughs> the same way on the subway. Yeah. Um, well, uh, you also did talk about maybe something that was. Um, you were unable to fully explain a video that one of the gals from the brothel showed you. Oh yes, to go back to Reno. Yeah. yeah. Well, uh, yeah. I um, I was in. I was in a brothel, um, not for, uh, for work. I should. I should be careful uh-huh. to stipulate. Yeah. I was hired by a magazine to go to this brothel, and um, and I I was profiling the owner, and I I was pretty much done. But the photographer was taking his portrait, so I was sitting there talking to the madam, and she just sort of casually mentioned, "Oh, by the way, this place is totally haunted." And I'm going to all right, you know, so so we spend the next half hour talking about all the ghosts in the the Mustang Ranch. And um, um, she she's talking about this one woman who works there who uh, uh, who has this ghost, you know, who stays with her. And 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 about five minutes later, that woman actually happens to walk by. It's totally coincidentally. And so the madam's like, you know, go go get your phone, show them the videos. Right. So I so she shows me this this video. Um, and it's, uh, it's this woman, I guess her husband lives in LA. So when she's, when she's working, she'll send him videos, you know, sort of, you know, uh, spice things up. Yeah, exactly. Bit. Right. Right. So luckily the video was from the, the head up. So I didn't have to, <laughs> didn't have to get too far into yes. their, their marriage situation. But, um, you know, but, but th- so the video has this orb on it, which, you know, uh, paranormal investigators will know it's like a little light or a little ball of light that, that is sort of otherwise unexplainable, you know? And so this orb is just kind of floating around around her head as she's doing this little little dance, and then at some point the the orb leaves the screen, and then it comes like ricocheting back or like rocketing back into the screen. And when it hits her temple in the video, she falls over, and it is the weirdest thing. She just like literally falls over, and she's no recollection of anything actually in the in the room. She can't. <laughs> She can't say why she fell over. She just sort of lost her balance. But it, it looks for all the world like, you know, this 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 ball of light hit her in the head and knocked her over. And I, I, I was just like, I don't I don't know what to make of that. That's <laughs> odd so. and comical. Right. Exactly. Right. Also, not terrifying. Just sort of like a huh, yeah. huh. Yeah. Which came first? <laughs> right. <laughs> and do ghost stories like this? I imagine they exist across cultures. They do, yeah. I mean, I you know, I I I uh, kept this restricted to the United States just because I you know I didn't want to spend thirty years on it and write you know <laughs> right. a five thousand page book. And so, um, but but yeah. And so I looked at kind of the differences in in regional areas and some of the, you know the ways that you know the South tells different kind of stories, say than than New England or whatever. But one of the things I I didn't get into the book, but which I I really wanted. Too, I just kind of ran out of time. Was this this drive-in in Hawaii? Because uh, I also wanted to be like, I I have no choice but to go to Honolulu for sure. research, yes, right? You yes. know, like it's a very important <laughs> that I go to Honolulu. Um, so there used to be this drive-in in Honolulu. It's been demolished, but it was haunted by this um, this ghost in the women's bathroom. Because it's always the women's always. bathroom. It's ho- it's, because it's the men tell these stories, and they don't know what goes on in women's bathrooms. So of course, oh. it's terrifying, right? Yeah, you know, it's like a ladies' book club. Yeah, I right. Don't know exactly. What goes right. On right. Who knows? You know, <laughs> like anyway. So so there's this there's this woman. You go any the, gathering of women, <laughs> right? Is any is sure to be terrifying. <laughs> um. Uh. So so you go into the into the women's restroom, and there's this woman at the at the sink washing her hands and she has long straight black hair mm-hmm. and then she turns to look at you and she has no face <gasps> you know it's just like smooth skin no eyes no mouth no no nose oh my. um you know and and so that's cool that's 
pretty scary. Um, that's very scary. That's cool, right? Yeah. yeah. But it's also so that's that's a that's a ghost that I didn't find anywhere else in the United States. Uh, I don't think. I don't think you'd find it anywhere else in the United States, but it's extremely common, as you probably know, in Japan. Um, so, like, so there, you know, that that ghost shows up in a couple of Miyazaki films. Right. The sort of, you know, the famous kind of no face ghost is very common in Japan. So, like, like on the one hand, it sort of totally makes sense that Hawaii of of all the fifty states would be the one state that would have this Japanese ghost because Hawaii gets a lot of its culture from you know Japan and East Asia, and there's a lot of sort of you know sort of Pacific migration of, of ideas and folklore. But it's also, I mean, it's kind of cool in the sense that it's sort of, you know, it's just a reminder of the way in which, you know, ghost stories are pretty universal, but they they change from location to location. And, you know, like India will have different ghosts and China will have different ghosts and France will have, to, you know, that different places will have different ghosts. And so I just found that kind of a fascinating sort of like bleed at the edge of the United States that we'd have this this foreign born Japanese ghost on our on our uh, yes. shores. So. That's terrific. I love regionally specific mm. ghosts. You know, I like to eat local. <laughs> right. Eat local, <laughs> haunt local. <laughs> but why are there so many chains? Why are there so why do ghosts go with the chains? Uh are you talking about like like franchise ghosts or are you talking about ghosts in chains? Then, yeah, I mean like ghosts in no like, not not in franchises. Because you're I like eat, lo- no, why eat local. Why are Arby's always yeah, right. no, uh, uh, no when they when often ghosts are you know it's a ghost because yeah. or if somebody wants to imitate a ghost yeah, it's, it's dragging chains. chains. Yeah, yeah. What, what does that have to do with it? I mean that uh, you know is that a biblical thing? No, it's probably a Dickens thing is my kid. I'm, I'm, you know, yeah. I mean, it comes probably out of out of a Christmas Carol, but I, th- you know, like, well, okay, so there's certainly the idea of uh, the 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 prisoner. The I, well, okay, like what I want to say. Also, I don't know if there were any ghosts in the Bible. <laughs> yeah, there. Well, there was. Uh, there are. I mean, there's the bush. There's some bush. No, there's not really any ghosts. There's like a witch. There's yeah. a witch in the Bible. And then there are some people who are like, well, you know, Jesus does sort of raise people from the dead. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah, like, yeah. you know, but so. I just um, said that kind of without thinking. Really. That's fine. No, that's, <laughs> anyway, yeah, yes, yeah. Uh, the change. Uh, yeah, no, I, I guess I don't have a good, I, I guess I don't have a good answer for that. I would say that, you know, uh, I I would guess they come from, from Dickens, but I don't, it's been a, so long since I've read A Christmas Carol, I can't remember if he's actually described as having chains or if that's like a. I think so. Yeah, right. I'm not. I mean, like, like I immediately I think of the Disney version where it's right. like Goofy as Marley, and you know, like so. So that's not helpful, obviously. <laughs> I guess it just spoke to me in terms of the thing that we were saying earlier that there is that like universality, at least within the American culture, yeah. like a certain kind of ghost, and a ghost does this, and then people remember right that, right. and then that influences how they think. That's Although sh- with the Hawaiian example, sure, it can be culturally <clears throat> specific. Well, let's talk about the Biltmore Hotel. Uh, I had to stay there for a conference. Okay. And I was shown my room. And uh, it was musty. Yeah. And it was damp. And it felt wrong. Oh. Just from a comfort level, it felt wrong. What Not, year was this? Well, last year or the year before. Okay, so recently. A couple of years ago, yeah. I had to get a new room. And when I got the new room, it was fine. And yeah. I, I, I let somebody know. And they said, well, that's good because the hauntings really start on the on the upper floors. Oh, okay. And I had somebody else there, another conference attendee. And she said, oh, yes, I'm on whatever floor it was. Yeah. And uh, in the middle of the night, a man walked through the room and out the window. Oh, my gosh. 
This is what I'm saying. And ah, uh, she seemed, uh, A, totally completely unfazed by this. Just like a thing that happens. <laughs> just a thing. Just like, a man walked across the room and out the window. Right. I mean. And also, and also, I didn't get my complimentary breakfast. <laughs> and also, <laughs> yeah. where's the waffle station? Right, exactly. <sighs> wow. But isn't that bizarre? Wow. And, 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 and this friend had no like further comment on it? No, that was it. Just and she stayed in her room. Just, I got upset because it was musty. <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't. But you know what I do sometimes if I feel that unease. I'll be honest with you. I get to a place like that. I acknowledge the spirits. Yeah. Okay. I grew up in an old house. Okay. Yeah. I know what's going on. Sometimes you walk into these places, even if it's in New Orleans or wherever. Yeah. I say I honor that you're here. Yeah. I respect your presence. Please just let me get a good night's sleep. Okay. Sometimes that works. Sometimes it doesn't. Huh. But it's a way of at least chasing out any fear. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that makes sense. I mean, you know, it's sort of like, you know, burning sage or whatever. It's sort of just like a, it's like almost like a ritual that you do. You know, I mean, I have a lot of OCD tendencies. So I, you know, I mean, that makes a lot of sense to me. Like, you know, it's just (laughs) like, like, yeah, like before you go to sleep, you just sort of, you know, like, hey, everybody, um, I'm going to be out for the next eight hours. Got a busy day tomorrow. If you could chill it out, Z's. right? Yeah, like yeah, just, just uh, if we could hold off till about eight thirty, that would be great. He's <laughs> up on the chains and the faceless <laughs> right. hand washing. Right. Let's 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 do the quiet haunting tonight. <laughs> <laughs> do you think if they updated the place though, that it would um, it would solve some of these problems? Because when you go into the Biltmore, yeah, uh, any name any of the places, a lot of the places you went, I mean, it could just be a remodel. And it could maybe chase some of these feelings away. Well, you know, I spent a couple nights in the Hotel Cecil, uh, which is also famously oh, right. haunted. Um, also and downtown, Los also Angeles. downtown. Uh, not, not the swell digs that the <laughs> uh, Biltmore is. Um, but uh, they did a remodel a couple of years ago. Uh, it, it, a couple of years prior to me staying, and it basically, it's like going into a. 1920s derelict flop house with a lot of IKEA furniture, and uh, <laughs> so uh, you know some remodels better than others. Better than you know, others. so uh, so who knows? You have to have some intention with it, right? Right. Really well, I was asking about the Pillmore also because I had a friend who. Uh, what's that? What's that website where you just basically say I want a four star hotel and I don't want to pay more than one hundred and fifty dollars and then it just gives oh, you a yeah. place or whatever price line. Yeah, yeah. Okay, things, so he did yeah. that four star hotel in downtown Los Angeles and he got the Biltmore for whatever his price was and he's, <laughs> and he and he gets there and it's and you know I mean the Biltmore the the lobby is beautiful, beautiful the you know the the bar is beautiful the restaurant is beautiful but his room was was pretty crappy it was a pretty pretty crappy room and so he. He went down and he basically complained to the the manager and he was like, you know, this doesn't really seem like a four star hotel. And the manager said, Oh, oh, we don't call ourselves a four star hotel anymore. We are a three star hotel. <laughs> so, but I stayed there a couple of times and and it was a lot nicer. So I, I wonder if they've done even if they've been sort of renovating ever since well, then maybe. and sort of made their their place a little nicer. So part of the downtown revitalization exactly yeah, efforts. Yeah. All right. Well, in the book, you go to uh, so many different kind of spaces. You talk about whole cities that are cursed, plantations, B&Bs. Yeah. I wondered if you'd ever been to Bobby Mackey's The Haunted Honky Tonk in Wilder, Kentucky. I have not, but please do tell more. Well, it's a perfect addendum to your book. Yeah. If you want to take a trip down there just across the Cincinnati border, Okay. Uh, they give haunted tours in the yeah. basement uh, that was supposedly once a slaughterhouse. It wasn't. <laughs> There's a ghost of a girl who met a grisly end. Oh, uh, she didn't. And, and uh, the ghost name happens to be the same as the one and only hit of the country singer, Bobby Mackey, who bought the place. 
How about that? Wow. But um, it's worth it to go for the line dancing yeah. and the cheap beer. But a haunted place, I have my doubts. Yeah. And um, that's why I bring it up because we, we pay a little extra money, five bucks or something, yeah. to go down on this tour by a disaffected teen on a cell phone. <laughs> <laughs> and it was wonderful in its own way. But why do these things endure when it can so easily be proven uh, to, to be nothing at all? You know, I think that what I the conclusion I came to is that the the ghost story and the story of the haunted place um, are such a, an inf- efficient and important means of dealing with so many different cultural anxieties that we have. Uh, so it's like obviously it's about our relationship to death, right? You yes. know, and sort of confronting our own mortality. It's also sort of secondarily, it's about our our uh, n- like negotiations with our loved ones who are gone. You know, like sort of you know. Um, that it's it's just a it's a powerful way of keeping keeping their memories alive in one way or another. But it's also it's like it's a way for us to to engage with history in this way. But but on a very sort of micro tiny level, right? You know, I mean, like everybody kind of grows up with the uh, you know the old house at the end of the street. You know, with the peeling paint. Nobody knows why the paint's peeling and the weeds are growing. And you know, and it was always just that house. And it, you know, you, it was never going to be on the news. You were never going to learn about it. It was always just going to be this thing that you had a, this little mystery, right? So sooner or later, you and your friends would just call it haunted, right? And you just, you know, like that. You know, on Halloween, you dare each other to go up and ring the doorbell and like that kind of thing. But it was just like. Um, the, these ghost stories become a way of accounting for these sort of small anomalous places that we don't have good records or we do, you know that aren't big enough for a, for a normal history and I think that that seems to be like that's what you do with a with a haunted honky tonk that feels weird as you you know you're like oh let's make up a story about it you know like right. let's you know like let's do something with it right. so <laughs> and it will set you apart there's an economic driver oh to yeah it too. right I right mean, if it'll set you apart from the other honky tonks right right exactly well, my gosh sure right. put the teens on it <laughs> charge them extra five bucks <laughs> well um, and what about Halloween you gonna go out there uh no. Did you have so. a great Halloween from as being a kid? A costume no, you loved? no. I actually, I that's another secret. I I don't. I, I I'll probably stay at home with with my dog and and my wife just watching terrible horror movies. But um, but but so so Halloween used to not be the ghost holiday. Do you know this? No. Okay. So so in the 19th century, um, the holiday that you you gather around and told ghost stories was not Halloween. It was Christmas. Um, huh. So, like, for example, uh, uh, Henry James' Turn of the Screw sort of opens, you know, the sort of frame stories of a bunch of guys telling stories on Christmas Eve, and then one of them tells the, the story that becomes the, the narrative. Uh, and, you know, what is, what is the most famous Christmas story that we have? It's, it's a Christmas girl. It's a ghost story. Oh, right? you know, yeah. yeah. So, so, so what we do instead of having a sort of Halloween blowout is we every year on Christmas we uh, we have a bunch of people over and we tell ghost stories and uh, and it's it's great it's great to just like you know people will just kind of sometimes they'll have these really dramatic stories sometimes they'll have sort of you know made up stories which is fine sometimes it's just like well one time I heard something weird didn't know what to make of it you know but it's always a great time just as like people really like just you know kind of telling these stories and listening to them so oh it sounds like yeah fun do you have a tree made of bones. 
Uh, no, because we have a dog, and it would, it would oh, in it short eat, order, be all over the floor. Eat the bone tree. <laughs> Do you decorate with any other dark dark matter? Uh, no, no. I mean, <laughs> it's still Christmas, but with ghosts. Right, exactly, yeah. Well, yeah. I like that very yeah. much. I'm going to add, I'm going to suggest that. Yeah, it's fun. It's great. It's because it's, it's so, it's so much colder and darker. It's a much better time for yes. it. You know? Yeah, it's nice. Oh, I like it. And uh, it's a time when we remember our loved ones, too, right. isn't it? Uh, that's true, yeah. I yeah. think that's wonderful. The loved ones that have gone on, right, I should right, say. Sometimes right. they're right in the room with you. And, yeah, you and then you're eat. trying to forget them. <laughs> that's right. Keep drinking. Have some more nog. Well, I should say again, this book does, uh, it doesn't have the tone of you going around debunking anything. Yeah, I want to right. make that clear. Okay, good. Uh, it's uh, very enjoyable, and I think what you offer is a nuanced research-based history in how ghost stories get started, how they morph with the times, and persist through the decades. It's a wonderful read. Thanks so much. I really enjoyed speaking with you, oh, Colin. You attempted to make up your own ghost story about a place. Uh, I I have uh, for this for this aforementioned Christmas Eve story last year. I uh, first couple of years I told stories that I knew, but last year I, I invented one of my own, and I was I was pretty pretty it was happy. About a haunted bodega. It was about a haunted. Uh, it was about the haunting behind that terrible song I hate more than anything, Baby, It's Cold Outside. Oh, oh yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> They're having some issues with that one. Yeah, yeah. It's right, not exactly. it's lost. Some of it's fun. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. There must so. be a haunted bodega, though, isn't there, somewhere? Oh, probably. Probably. Yeah, yeah. Next book. Next book. The Haunted Bodegas of New York City. I love it. Colin, thank you so much. Thanks for having me on. This Continued success. Talk to you again. Great. Spooky, but also real. So not that spooky. I tell you, pick up the book. It's well worth your time if you enjoy traveling, architecture, history. It's got it all. And my thanks to Colin for being with me. And let me just also add a, a personal program note. Uh, I lost a, a dear friend this week, and uh, perhaps it's, it's not... Um, a coincidence that we're talking about ghosts as, uh, as she is now a spirit out there. And I, I want to uh, thank the, 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 the brilliance of Samantha Morris, who left this world too young, uh, but uh, who I hope will come back and haunt me uh, anytime, really. We'll do a scene together. That'd be great. But uh, she was one of the good ones, and she will be missed. And, and so I just wanted to dedicate a note uh, to her. Uh, so now this night may be ending, but a bright new day is just ahead. Till next time. Deep Night is written and performed by James Bewley with production assistance from Harvest Works in New York City. Music throughout each episode is provided by the amazing talents on the artistic roster of Howler Hills Farm in the great state of Ohio. Deep Night theme by Zach Gabbard, Season 9 podcast icon and logo designed by Samantha Mash. Download episodes directly through daleradio.com or subscribe and review the show on iTunes. Also available on Stitcher Radio, Google Play, and SoundCloud. Follow Dale on Twitter at Dale Radio or Instagram at Dale Seaver for behind-the-scenes peeks into the production of the show and the life of Dale Seaver. Thank you to all the subscribers and supporters of this program, and thanks to you for listening. <laughs>